Welcome to What's Next in L podcast, a vibey joint for millennial women where we are finally giving ourselves permission to live our best, luxurious, carefree lives. On this show, you can expect to hear raw and unfiltered content from both the male and female perspective, talking all things career, self-love, and relationships. This is the ultimate tea time session, so get your wine ready, get comfortable, and open your mind to insight on what's next. Everyone, welcome back to What's Next, Mel. I'm your host, Mel, and today I'm super excited. We have our first male guest, Byron, um, which I'm excited because I feel like this is such a great conversation and topic that we're about to discuss. And I think to just get um, a male perspective on it is something that will just be able to, you know, assist us in really understanding. Um, the different things about social justice, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so just to introduce Byron, um, statistics show that each year, nearly 2000 babies are born in prison. On April 9th, 1995, Byron was part of that statistic. Also known as Mosul, he is an author, activist, social entrepreneur, and scholar. Um, he's a proud Detroiter and attributes success to God, him being raised by his great grandparents and his struggles of life. He is the founder of From the Hood for the Hood, a nonprofit dedicated to developing, empowering and engaging young people and communities that are often overlooked while being a training catalyst for social justice. So obviously, Byron, a lot has gone on since like obviously you came into this world. So definitely like introduce us to like everything from the beginning to where you are now and how you know that all contributes to like you're just um fond and interest into social justice oh for sure for sure um first i want to say thank y'all i feel honored and and humbled to be the first male guest on your podcast you know? oh, thank you but um I guess my, my beginning, like I said, I, I was born in prison. My mother was in prison when she had me, and I was raised by my great-grandparents. So my grandparents' parents, Joe Esther, Roscoe Corner, uh, anything positive that I do, you can attribute to them. I'll take all the negative. Um, as far as my, my foot getting into activism, so last year, during the time of um, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, I was a student, undergrad student at Fair State University. And I remember some community members saying they were going to do a protest. And as soon as they said they were going to do a protest, they received death threats, uh, so much negative backlash. And it kind of um, worried them, so they canceled the protest. And me personally, I felt like canceling it was just giving um, the enemy the victory. So I, mm-hmm. I decided to to go ahead and grab the torch and do it myself. Literally had one day um, to put a, a protest together, but but I did it. And like um, those community members, I received death threats. Um, my property uh, was vandalized. I had a literal speed bump, like a huge speed bump thrown on my house. Wow. My roof. I thought it was um, <clears throat> somebody like a car hitting my 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 plate right. or something because it it was late. They threw it, um, and then at the time, um, police wasn't doing anything. It took the mayor like getting involved for the for the um, police to finally even accept the police report for some mm-hmm. stuff was going on. But like I said, was able to put put it together. Over a thousand thousand um, people, over a thousand people came to the protest. 
Uh, from there, I established a citywide social equity initiative, working with the mayor, city chief, uh, manager, and everything of that nature. And then started what we called a um, the road to equity to dismantle systemic racism. So I've uh, organized over a dozen um, protests across the nation, including a recreation of the Selma March that happened at Belle Isle in Detroit, Michigan. I've been able to collaborate um, with other activists, activists of whom I look up to, such as Angela Davis. Oh, that's amazing. Um, the Innocence Project, which um, helped exonerate uh, members of the um, Exonerated Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, that collabed with Eminem doing a Fort the Hood tour, going around the country, passing out um, PPE, um, groceries, toys, um, and literature on public advocacy um, to hoods across America and um, became the social justice programming coordinator for the school for the duration of my time at undergrad. But that's kind of my, that was the, the spark because I believe that we are the change of which we seek. I feel like a lot of times- I agree. Oh, for sure. I feel like a lot of times people, they wait for the next Dr. King, next Malcolm X and then mm-hmm. for forever because I feel like embedded with us is a purpose to stand and to grab the torch, especially right. the activism. I completely agree. And I think, you know, exactly what you said, um, like we are the change that we seek because, you know, there's definitely like I um I went to school in the beginning, like um mostly with white um kids. Um I went to private school and then I went to Catholic school. So, you know, I had to you know, when you be in those environments where you're the only um most likely like the like three out of four um like black kids that are in the class and things like that you have to like speak up for yourself and I think that was kind of also to my beginning a spark of understanding and realizing that like you know I have to speak up for myself like I can't you know allow to wait for somebody else to like you know wait for the other like black classmates to like speak up on something that you know I think is disrespectful or whatever the case may be um so I feel like yeah you can't just wait for like the next person you have to you know take a stance or make that change and you know be able to rally other people around you also feel the same way um to help you know put that change into the forefront and make it a bigger issue and make it something that's noticeable um so I love that. And I definitely want to get into like you just like working with Angela Davis and definitely like um, the collaboration that you did with Eminem on like distributing those like um, 65,000 pandemic relief kits. Like how did all those things like come about, um, you know, for you to be in those like if it was virtual or in person, like in those like settings with them and just be able to like, you know, contribute to such a bigger picture and helping um, make change oh for sure well um it, it's really just just doing it being 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 there and doing what's need to be done you know um so as far as with angela davis i got um was able to collab with her through being a part of um the harvard prison divestment campaign so we're, we're prison abolitionists uh, fighting to have institutions such as harvard and other institutions um, divest investments from the prison um, complex and, and things of that nature. So that's where the Angela Davis connection came about. And then with Eminem, like I said, during the summer, when the pandemic first hit, like I said, I was doing protests, but on my nonprofit, and I was I was debating, I was saying for a couple of weeks, like, um, what can I do to, to help? 
um, my community, you know. So I I meditated over it. I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I rented out an SUV. I filled it up with with groceries, um, face masks, toys, feminine care products, baby care products, and books speaking on public advocacy, how to hold your public officials accountable, things of that nature. And I just went and started going around hoods across America and was uh, filming on Facebook. And then um, Eminem and his team eventually reached out to me via um, social media. We connected and then they collaborated and that that um, more than tripled our, our reach that, that we were going to do. Because like I said, I was funding it myself right? Um, at first. So I went from having to fund it myself to having that that kind of backing, and then, like I said, we were able to pass up at those sixty five thousand kits and things of that nature. And we're we're planning on doing it again this year. We're gonna start out in Philly mm-hmm. um, this year, but um, yeah, it's just about like I said, being the change of what you see and, and going out when you go out and do what you're supposed to do. And when you're walking in your purpose. Mm-hmm. I, put you around the people that you're supposed to be around at the time you're supposed to be around them and, and um, those relationships just organically happen right those relationships and, go ahead no sorry to cut you off and because uh, I was going to ask with that when you say you're starting in Philly is it something that like it's like a traveling thing or is it like you have um people in like the different cities like where you set them up with like those different kits and things like that oh no I'm pulling up I, I, I pull up to every I'm a very hands-on um, person with my nonprofit. Any anything that we do, I'm there. So I love that. I'm the same way. I definitely I don't like to like I and I know a lot of people are like oh you should delegate you should delegate but there's definitely like yeah I want to delegate but I also want to make sure like my hands are in it because I feel like you know your team is not going to put as much effort if they don't see the person who started it really like getting their hands dirty and really being there and showing up um 100 every day so i love that um so that kind of brings me into so like definitely like talk to us about how you started like your nonprofit from the hood for the hood like how did that like come about and like where is it currently where do you see it going in the future okay for sure so um the inspiration for founding from the hood for the hood came from the fact that so while before I went to Ferris, I went to community college at Henry Ford College in Dearborn, Michigan. Mm-hmm. During the time, eventually, I'm a first-generation college student. My mom eventually gave me an ultimatum of either dropping out of school to go work at a factory or to leave her home. So I chose education. So right. I was homeless for the duration of my community college experience. But while I was homeless, um, I had people that, that really poured into me and showed love to me, even like when it got to that near two year stretch when like my church family finally found out like I was homeless and a family from my my church the Mobleys they took me in and became my 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 um extended family things of that nature and poured into me so I feel like I owe it not only to those people that poured into me and showed their love to me but I owe it to myself to pour it into the next generation pour it into my community so um several so after graduating I accepted a fellowship through the University of Michigan that summer called the Angle Heart Social Justice Fellow, and I used those resources and those funds to file my paperwork, got my nonprofit established, filled out my 501c3 paperwork, mm-hmm. got it set up, and then I remember our first project was um, assisting with the Flint water crisis. Yes. But again, uh, my inspiration 
came to um, pouring it up. And then the sense of this African proverb, this is Ubuntu, which means I am because we are. And that's how I fulfill that that um, that proverb through, through my nonprofit. I love that. Um, and, you know, I feel like, yeah, one, I will definitely tell people starting a nonprofit is not easy no. because I myself has been looking into it um, because I do want to start a nonprofit as well myself um, for mental health and like the youth. Um and it's not it's not easy. It's not easy at all. So I definitely like commend you on being able to get it started and get it approved because it's a process. Oh, for sure. It, it for sure is. Um worth and mm-hmm. And I was saying, but it's worth it. Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely, you know, when I have I think also too is like contributes to the time. Um so definitely when I'm able, like after the things that I'm doing, when I have the time, I'm definitely gonna pour into it because that's something I really, really do wanna do. Like even like I wanna get my masters in nonprofit. So it's definitely something that I wanna um do and like stay connected with. Um so I guess where are you guys now in the present um with the nonprofit? And then like where do you see yourself like in like where do you see the nonprofit in the future? Oh, um, like I said, we, we're doing well. We're preparing. Like again, we're doing our second annual for the hood tour mm-hmm. for our back our back to school movement. So right now we're kind of doing our our fundraising and going to purchase some of, some of the items in preparation for that. Um, still collaborate, still have our relationship with the Innocence Project um, and with other organizations because teamwork makes dream work. Just okay. nonprofit that don't mean you, you shouldn't collaborate with other nonprofits. Um, because the more people out in the field, the better um, to help do the work. And right now, um, like I said, I'm going to grad school at the University of Michigan. So my degrees are going to be a master's of social work with a community change pathway. So that degree and um, with that degree, I'm going to implement that directly into the nonprofit. So I'll take the license of have my own independent social work practice and, and provide free resources on that spectrum for the nonprofit and then I'm also getting a master's of higher education with a diversity and social justice and higher education concentration and hopefully um once my my foot is in the door within higher ed now I could create opportunity for for marginalized uh communities to obtain higher education uh opportunities of which they may not have been able to before Okay, I love it. I love it. I think that's like amazing. And I think that's definitely what the community needs. I feel like again, to see someone, you know, really putting in that like, work and that effort to make a change and really see and show that like, you know, you don't have to wait around for other people. And that like, you know, again, like, especially, you know, that's the biggest thing I think, you know, with nonprofits that can help is like with the resources. I think a lot of people, you know, I've talked to so many different people from so many different communities and areas of like, if they had the resource, they would be able to get out of like their environment and situation, mm-hmm. um, especially with the youth as well. Like, you know, the youth is very succumbing to their environment and when they're not giving the resources or people to that to tell them that they can make a difference or to show them that they can make a difference um they stay in that environment so like that's like one of the big reasons too that I want to definitely get into nonprofit. so I definitely love that and you know definitely we could email talk later um just about like the tour and just like in the different cities that you know I definitely want to come out and assist with um, because I love that. Like that's absolutely amazing. Sure. 
Um, so I guess like you know bringing that into like especially how we're talking about like educating young people and just things like that. Like, how is it that we can better assist and educate young people about social justice and give them like a safe haven to speak on what's going on around them and like the environment that they might be in? Uh, one is by leading by example, and then two, um, I feel like right now we have to bridge a generational gap. I feel like sometimes our older generations kind of get um, amnesia or some kind of brain fart when it comes <laughs> to the movement because, honestly, you can't point out any movement within history that wasn't led by a young person. Huey mm-hmm. Newton was like 21 years old when he started uh, Black Panther Party. You know, Dr. King, he was a young preacher, not an old preacher when he died. Uh, everybody was young, but but sadly, a lot of older generations kind of have a preconceived perception on our young people. So rather than coming at them with love, they come at them with judgment and hate. And just off of that rip, you're not going to really be able to pour into that young person. So coming with um, love and really wanting to bridge that gap, that's that's going to help strengthen it. I feel like I'm a big advocate for bringing back block clubs and not mm-hmm. just having a block club where it's just a whole bunch of seniors, but have a, a youth council within the block club so that our young people can learn how to learn Robert's rules of orders, learn how to advocate for what they want to do and things of that nature and really um, pour into them and, and again, I feel like it's our job to teach what our school system, as you can see, our school systems are fighting, right, mm-hmm. to not teach true history, which is black history. You know, they're trying not to teach critical race theory. So it's our job as adults, parents, churches, organizations to, to uh, fill in the gap. And I feel like once young people kind of see our history, see where we come from, and not just what they hear, not just the same thing, but some of the things that people have done within our within our um, culture that, that will motivate and, and spark a fire um, with, within them, you know? Right, I agree. And, the, you know, I think how, I guess, like, too, is, like, how do we get young people into this, like, you know, factor of, like, because, you know, I feel like some people wait for a spark or something to happen to them or happen to their family to kind of get into it a little bit to get or to, like, you know, learn more about social uh, social justice and, like, you know, engage with it. How is it that we can help them in, like, you know, bringing them into the fold with not having to wait for some, like, big thing to happen where they're like, oh, shit, I didn't realize, like, this was really happening kind of thing. For sure, for sure. I, I believe... Uh, one is by helping plant the mentality and, and showing that we are all connected and, and things that happen to one person affects us all, either directly or indirectly. And I believe once once you have that mentality of that connectedness and, and things of that nature, not then you move different, then you want to do something. And then another way is when you bring in the young people, allow them to also have leadership opportunities you know mm-hmm. sometimes we, we'll bring in young people for for different uh, movements or organi- or things of that nature but they're the ones passing out water or doing something but allow them to lead allow them to be a voice as well you know sometimes it, it's people who, who've held positions for umpteen years right ever really put somebody under them to train them to show them and, and move them into that position so that that's a big thing um as well and then like I said, once once you're able to paint that mentality to show young people, okay, you might not know that young brother who who was assaulted, but but 
is how it still affects our community. If they do it to, to one person, they'll do it to you. You know, that could be your sister, your cousin, your mom, your aunt, mm-hmm. anything. And really getting that mentality as it, if we don't nip this in the bud, eventually they, these issues is going to come knocking at my door. Right. Exactly. I definitely agree. And I feel like, you know, I think that's what something like, especially like, you know, for me, like I had to like realize like being mostly like a white um, school, you start to see things differently and you start to realize like how these things like affect you and how like, you know, white parents or white kids like, you know, treat you. And then it like it sparks something and it's like, it shouldn't have had to wait for that moment for something to happen to me to be like, oh, wait, hold on. This is like, this is something that, you know, other people might deal with on a daily basis kind of thing. Um, so I completely agree. Um, so during the pandemic, you know, I know you said like, that's kind of like a little bit of like, what was like a catalyst drive with like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, I guess, do you see the fight for social justice, obviously, as a continuous thing, as you know, as we're still obviously still in a pandemic. And, you know, yeah, like, um, Derek have gotten like the 22.5 years, but still, you know, we all know that's not enough. And then we still know, like, Breonna Taylor still has not gotten any justice. Like, do you think that the fight for social justice will always be a continuous thing, especially for you know, those two things that happened, like, towards the beginning of the pandemic. Um, well, well, as you said, you know, um, Breonna T- Wall got justice before Breonna Taylor could get justice. So mm-hmm. that that's a big issue right there. And then, you know, when you talk about pandemic, I always say pandemics. I feel like we are living parallel pandemics, the pa- pandemic on the health end, but also a pandemic that we've been in for, for well over 400 years, which is this, right. this racial uh, pandemic. And I feel like, um, I feel like there's hope. I feel like every generation there, we've come a long way, but there's so much more that we still need to do. Mm-hmm. Dr. King talked about the mountaintop, reaching the mountaintop. I believe our mountaintop of today is so much bigger and higher, but we must continuously climb. And I believe uh, for us to really get the momentum we need to truly create change, so there, eventually there's a world where there's no need to fight for social justice because social justice is just around, equity is around. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take people ha- having uncomfortable conversations and we have to remove this fence. There's no longer a fence. You can, never, you can no longer sit on a fence in terms of activism. You either with it or, or you against it. It's, it's no more fence or, or just being neutral. Right. So neutrality is, is what's hindering us from momentum. I completely agree with that. I think, you know, a lot of people, and especially, you know, I have some friends that, like, I feel they were neutral, quote-unquote, in the situation or, like, kind of was on the bandwagon from the beginning. But now it's, like, you know, when it's brought up in conversation, I can definitely see the, like, nervousness or just the uncomfortability that you don't want to talk about it anymore. And it's, like, well, it's, like, we kind of still have to talk about it because we're kind of, we're still going through it. It's, like you might be uncomfortable but I have to also think you know in the sense I think and that's what how I contribute all my conversations is like when I talk to people I'm like you know I'm thinking in the sense of like when I have kids like Mm -hmm. what my kids is like gonna have to go through I don't want to deal with that I was like you know like I don't want to have to like not 
I don't want to ha- like it's like I have to prepare my kids for the real world or when they step outside of the world especially when they get to that teenage like years and are out when I'm not there like I shouldn't have to prepare my kids for that because like you don't you're not gonna have to yeah that's the thing like and that's the, and that's a sad reality that you know a lot of times we think like these talks that that parents have black parents have with with their um, black and brown kids like these talks are are universal and it's sad because that shows. How, how every community is being hit by these issues. And then um, I feel like activism, social justice, this stuff, this is bigger than a trend. If, if you just own it because it's trending right now, then maybe you shouldn't be on this side because mm-hmm. that's, that's another thing that's, that's holding it. Um, people are quick to talk about it while the protests are erupting, but now, now we've had our protests. Now it's time to go to our city officials holding them accountable. Now it's time to say what kind of legislation is gonna be enacted to ensure this doesn't happen. What kind of things? Now, now it's the real work within the field. But, but again, we have to take out that mentality of this being the trend, or I'm doing this because I want to be seen. I want to have a picture. Somebody show, get a couple of likes. This is bigger than likes. People, right? Have, you know? Exactly, I agree. And do you think that even with a little bit of, I guess, progress that has been made, do you think it does show a glimmer of like hope for equality in the future? Or is it just, again, something that, like, you know, it's something that probably even still our kids will obviously have to go through and maybe even our grandkids. Like, it's just, it's something that will be a prolonged thing that, like, will just continue to go on forever. Um, sadly, I believe that this is going to be something that we're going to still be fighting even when we have our, our kids and things of that nature. That that next generation may, is still, and I only say this because I feel like a lot of things that are going right now, we're getting a lot of symbolic victories. Mm-hmm. But but that but those symbolic victories lack equity. And, and um, you know, uh, Malcolm X talked about symbolic victories and, and, and <laughs> what they're worth, um, which is much of nothing. Right. Still, equity is added to the equation. You know, everybody right now, the biggest two words in the American vocabulary in the world of commerce are diversity and inclusion. But mm-hmm. are only marketing ploys until equity is added into the equation. You know, um, there's st- it's still said not just on a race wide, like you say, like a woman and a man could be working doing the same job, yet that man is making at least twice what that that woman is making. That's that's not that that's not cool. You know, so yeah, so, like we still got a long way to go. Exactly, I completely agree, and I think you know it you know it, for me it does make me like teeter-totter on like do I want to have kids do I not want to have kids because it's like I really don't want to have to like prepare my kids for like this kind of conversation it's like that's very uncomfortable and it's like I also don't want to scare my kids from what like the outside world is like but it's like at the same time you see different things with different people and just like everything that's going on and you see that like Again, like you said, like it's like people are on it because it's like a trend and it's like you're not really on it because you really want to help and move things forward. You're really just on it because you see everybody else doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like lastly, like where I mean, I feel like we kind of have brought it up and like talked about it. Um, but I guess like what um, do you see more for like the present and like and the future in regards to like social justice and just with everything that you're doing and hoping to contribute to like social justice and like activism and like what you would hope for like other people to like contribute for like now and like the future? Oh, yes, I do. I just feel like it, it just takes the work because one thing is things that I, I see that are happy. So I've worked with several cities and established social equity initiatives, which are good steps. So those are kind of citywide 
steps towards social justice. Um, I, I have a lot of friends and my, I myself are starting to do anti-racist workshops, trying to go predominantly to, to um, PWIs, predominantly mm-hmm. white institutions and organizations to have these conversations and, and, and really put everything out on the table to address that. Um, so again, I, I do see hope where there's uh, fighters within the field, there will always be hope as long as blood is running through an activist fame, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> even if they out there on their on own in their community, um, that, that's hope. And I really have hope because I feel like our generation specifically is very outspoken. Right. We, we don't bite our tongues as much as other uh, generations may have, or we, we're, we're very upfront and bold. And I believe that is the hope that we need to, to keep things pushing. Um, we just got to keep keep going. We got to keep climbing. Like I said, our mountaintop is so much higher than the time when Dr. King um, was around. So we just have to keep climbing. And, and while we climb, pull others up with us. Right. I agree. And I think, you know, especially like for millennials, I feel like we saw so much, you know, prior to this and like, you know, things that like our parents went through and things like that, that I feel like that's another reason why we speak up so much is because like we just don't want to settle for less and we know like there's so much more that could be offered um to us and we work too hard to you know be pushed to the bottom no cap and um (laughs) but other than that i feel like you know things is moving slowly but yeah like i definitely think you know as we continue to grow as a generation and like hopefully the generations after us will continue to help contribute to social justice and contribute help contribute to the world and like progressing um but i want to thank you so much for everything like this was such a great conversation i definitely got insight and really learned um more and i definitely again like i said i definitely want to help and contribute any way possible so definitely we'll be emailing you about that and um definitely take this time really like plug in where anyone can like reach you social media website how they can also you know help on your tour um where they can like link with you on that um because i believe like there definitely will be people listening that will want to help Oh, for sure. For sure. I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity again. Um, anybody want to uh, find me, you can find me on Instagram at mosoul495, M-O-S-O-U-L. You can find my nonprofit on Facebook at From the Hood for the Hood. Um, you can type in Byron Brooks, Detroit on Google. You'll, you'll find us on uh, my website. Uh, you can find us at... Um, from the hood.org and for the hood USA.org. Um, yeah, and really, if you find me on Instagram, I have my link tree, which has everything. So if you didn't catch all that, follow me on Instagram, click the link in the bio, and you'll find everything. Perfect. Thank you again so much. Like, again, like this is such a great um, conversation. And I really hope that so many different people that are listening was able to really gain insight from this conversation and, again, assist you in um, this fight and this, like, contribution that you are giving to the world. Um, So thank you for your time. And um, I can't wait to see all the different things that you do um, with your nonprofit and just, like, the social justice in general. Uh, likewise, I can't. I can't wait to get that email saying my nonprofit is up from you. I can't. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. If you need any kind of help, please reach out. 
Yes, yes. Anyway, thank you again so much. Thank you, everyone who listened, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. That's all for today's episode. I hope you were able to take away some new dope insight. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast for more if you're not already, and leave a review to let me know what you think. And if you want even more dope content, head over to whatsnextmail.com and subscribe to the blog to stay in touch. You can get at me on my socials too, at What's Next Mail, on Instagram and Twitter. I can't wait to vibe with you.